Hi, friends, and welcome to the third episode of Be Gay, Make History, a history podcast focused on the LGBTQ plus community. In episode two, we talked about three of the most important figures that were part of the Stonewall riots. This week, our focus is going to be on three events that foreshadowed what would happen at Stonewall. It is important to remember that Stonewall wasn't an isolated event. There were riots and protests that some that predated Stonewall by almost 10 years. The first event that we're going to discuss happened in the 1950s, and it was at this time that being gay was considered to be a mental defect, and things that were considered lewd acts, like kissing or holding hands of a same-sex partner, were made illegal. And police forces across the country were using this as a way to legally discriminate, attack, abuse, and create fear within the LGBTQ communities. Tensions between the police force and the members of the gay community had started to escalate in the end of the 1950s. The first event we talk about is one that we can't verify. It is the Cooper Donuts riots in LA. And it is important to note that there is no verifiable documentation that proves this happened. But I want to be clear that that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Now that may sound confusing, but I will explain it in just a minute. Now the story goes that Cooper's Donuts, which was a 24-hour donut shop, sat on Main Street between two gay bars. Because of its 24-hour status, or 24-hour hours, uh, it was a common meeting place for many of the gay community. It was also a commonly raided place by the police. Now, like in many other places that were being raided, the police brutality was excessive. So it is believed that on this night, two police officers walked into Cooper's Donuts and demanded IDs, which was a common way to allow them to arrest people because if they didn't match their gender on their driver's license, they could arrest them. That night, they began arresting two drag queens, two male sex workers, and a young man looking for a date. Other patrons of the donut shop started taking notice of the arrest happening, and it's said that they began throwing donuts, coffee, and paper plates at the officers until they had to retreat outside, which is kind of hilarious. Now, by today's standards, of course, this doesn't sound like a major riot, but it was one of the first times that the gay community had stood up against police brutality. As the officers left, the riot became a celebration, and that riot slash celebration ended up moving out onto Main Street. Shortly afterwards, the police showed up with backup, and it escalated back into a riot, which ended up closing down Main Street for the rest of that night and the next day. The police backup actually beat and arrested many of the protesters. Now, if the stories of the Cooper Donut Riot are to be believed, it would place it as one of the first LGBTQ uprisings against police brutality. Now, why we can't say for sure if it's true or not is because there is no supporting documentation to prove it. Like I said earlier, this doesn't prove that it didn't happen. Now, you might be thinking, well, Joe, that gets really confusing. Shouldn't there be some kind of police reports related around the arrests or what was happening that night? Well, you would be correct. And yet, the knowledge that we have about the event comes from a novelist named John Rishi, who claims to have been there that night. In 2020, a celebration to commemorate the events of that night was being planned. The planning committee reached out to the LAPD for documentation to corroborate Ricci's story. And the LAPD said that they couldn't provide the documentation because the documentation around that, plus many other similar events, had been purged or destroyed out of their 
system. Hmm, now isn't that interesting? So if we can't confirm that this happened, why do we talk about it? Why do I include it in this podcast? It's for two reasons. The first is to reinforce the idea that I mentioned in episode two, that most of our history has passed on orally, especially in situations like this, where the oppressors have actively suppressed our history to keep it hidden. The second is to show that it wasn't just New York City and Stonewall that was actively pushing for the gay liberation movement. The next major uprising would happen again in California, but it would move to the tenderloin of San Francisco. But it wouldn't take place until 1966, seven years after the Cooper riots and three years before Stonewall. The Compton Cafeteria riot is considered to be the first documented uprising against police brutality by the gay community. But like the Cooper Donut riots, this was one that was almost lost to history. If it wasn't for the tireless work of a trans historian named Dr. Susan Stryker, we may not have ever known that this one happened. You see, in 1991, Dr. Stryker was looking through the gay and lesbian historical archives and came across a document that was titled, Drag Queens Stand Up to Police Brutality at Compton Diner. Now, the document only had the title and no supporting document in the archive. And when she spoke with the city archivist about getting more information about it, the archivist explained that the supporting documents had either been purged or destroyed. Hmm. Now, why does that sound familiar? And as we continue this journey through the history of the community, you will see this theme repeated over and over again. This didn't stop. Dr. Stryker because she knew she had stumbled upon an important part of our history. And so she spent the next few years speaking with people who had been there that night, compiling their stories and interviews to put together what had happened. The Compton Cafeteria was a community gathering place for the queer people of the Tenderloin. Just a quick disclaimer here, I'm using the word queer to describe a community that had people of varying genders and sexuality as an overall encompassing term because I don't have a better one. The cafeteria was a major target for police raids that directly targeted trans women of color. The police would use a multitude of different reasons to be able to beat and arrest these women. They would range from things like solicitation all the way down to simple as blocking the sidewalk. Dr. Stryker wasn't able to pinpoint an exact date of this uprising, but the story goes that one night in 1966, after frustrations had been growing between the queer community in the Tenderloin and the police, an officer put his hands on a trans woman to arrest her. In response, she threw a cup of coffee in his face. And this would be the spark that started the riot. So while it began with just a cup of coffee, it ended with furniture being thrown through windows, drag queens beating police officers with their purses, a police car being destroyed, and a newsstand set on fire. Unfortunately, many of the trans women and drag queens were arrested as a result of this riot. And like the Cooper Donut riot, the San Francisco Police Department tried to sweep it under the rug. We can thank Dr. Stryker and her work for making sure that it didn't get lost to history. Now, the third event that took place would see a return to LA in the Silver Lake neighborhood. The Black Cat Tavern protest would be the most documented of all three. The protests that happened at the Black Cat Tavern were a direct response to the police brutality at the Black Cat Tavern on New Year's Day in 1967. In the eight years since the Cooper Donut Riot, the brutality that the LAPD showed towards the gay community had 
escalated. And the raid on New Year's Day at the Black Hat Tavern really brought this to light. Shortly before midnight, eight undercover police officers from the LAPD positioned themselves throughout the Black Cat Tavern. They waited for the clock to hit midnight, and when couples began kissing to ring in the new year, that's when they sprang into action, beating patrons and dragging them on the street to be arrested. In the ensuing chaos, 14 people were arrested that night, and they were charged with assault and lewdness. This, in turn, meant the people who were charged with lewdness had to register as sex offenders in the state of California. The lewdness being kissing their partner in public. Now, unlike the two events previously, there was no riot that night, just a night filled with panic and chaos. It wouldn't be until February 11th, 1967 that the community would respond. For the first time in American history, a large, well-organized protest against pre police brutality against the gay community took place. Now, in my research, the number of people that participated varied, but it ranged between 200 to 600 protesters gathered in front of the Black Cat Tavern demanding that the police end entrapment, illegal searches, and respecting the rights and dignities of the gay community. Now, something I find really interesting about this protest is the way that it was planned, as well as how they stayed peaceful even as the police tried to provoke them. The organization of the protest happened in a way that made it almost invisible to the police. The organizers created a phone tree. One person would call 10 people, those 10 people would call another 10 people, and so on and so forth. This would make it so that there was no paper trail leading up to the protest so that it could go as planned without being stopped by the police. In response, the LAPD showed up with squadrons of armed police officers to line the streets as a means of intimidation and provocation. Now, what the protesters did was they made sure that they adhered to all laws and ordinances to make sure that the police didn't have a reason to arrest them. And this tactic worked as this protest went on without any violence. As you've listened to these three stories, you may have realized that all three had different outcomes and responses. It is my opinion that it is incredibly important as history consumers to understand the context in which these stories are happening. We should always be doing this with any of the history we're consuming so that we can have an accurate context of what was going on. Context that could answer the question, why did the Cooper Donuts raid and the Compton raid end in a riot while the Black Cat Tavern had a peaceful protest? And you could even extend this context to Stonewall. So what is the major connecting thread between Cooper's Donuts, the Compton Cafeteria, and Stonewall? And it's all about the location. These three were either in the lowest income areas in the city, or they were mostly patroned by people of color, trans women, and drag queens. When groups like the police forces in major cities believe that they have complete dominance over another group, they will inevitably turn to excessive violence to maintain that control, especially if they consider the oppressed group to be a threat to their power and a attack on the normalcy of their lives. They also feel bolstered in this violence because many of these groups can't defend themselves or speak up for themselves because they aren't given the option to do that. And poor people, people of color, trans men and women, and anyone that fell under the queer umbrella held the least amount of power, especially at these times. And when the oppressed groups get to the point that they are at the end of the rope with 
the violence that's being done against them. They, in turn, have to turn to violence as a way to make their voices heard. And that's exactly what we've seen with the Cooper Donuts riot, the Compton Cafeteria riot, and the Stonewall riot. And as I mentioned earlier, the Black Hat Tavern was located in the Silver Lake neighborhood of L.A. This neighborhood, from its creation, had been forward-thinking and more affluent. There was a much higher percentage of white people in the neighborhood, and the incomes were significantly higher than the other places that these uh, protests had taken place. This meant that the police brutality could happen to an extent. Some of their power is lost when the people that were part of the neighborhood could speak up for themselves. And as this protest was highly documented, that took away some of the power as well. Now, while all three events were very different in their outcomes, they each had a significant effect on the history and the outcome of the gay community. And each one of them gave us a foothold in gaining our power and pushing forward the gay liberation movement. And that, my friends, is how two riots and a protest set the stage for the Stonewall Riots. And now it's time for the reminder I give you on every episode that you living and thriving as a member of the LGBTQ community is making history. So keep doing that shit. 